This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. When I read the prophets in the Old Testament, I see a lot of parallels between the way Israel responded toward God and the way our nation today is responding toward God. In my personal devotion this week, I came across a passage of scripture that I want to talk a little bit about today and maybe wake us up to what we're actually doing and the way we're uh, trying to reach the lost today and why we're having so much trouble. I think it'll shed a lot of light on that. We need to understand that Israel of old was the first nation on record to be governed by a set of laws instead of just a a human monarch. The laws gave a standard by which the people were supposed to live. They depended on the people's personal restraints because they knew there's no law that can control the hearts of men. The reason that Israel was able to operate, at least for a time, under these laws was because they knew that there was a holy God that they would have to give account to. Today, America is the same way. Our government was patterned after the government of Israel of old and after the the way that business was conducted in, in Baptist churches. And we need to understand that we need the same restraint from external forces, not the government, if we're going to have our freedoms. It depends on us having some reason to live proper lives without uh, the government forcing things on us. That's the only way that you can have freedom. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's really what it's all about, folks. Our freedoms are based on the principles found in God's Word. But America has moved away from following the truths of God's Word to following the ideas of corrupt men. This is resulting in the loss of freedom. Freedom can only exist where there's an external force that keeps us in control. The Bible tells us that the hearts of men are wicked and deceitful, and experience tells us that that's true. The American system of government worked quite well when the majority of Americans believed that there was a God in heaven to whom they would one day have to answer. It forced them not to do things to that were uh, contrary to the benefits of society as a whole. It kept them from uh, being murderous as we see today. It kept them from all the debauchery that we see today because they knew they would have to answer to a holy God. Today we don't have that uh, same restraint. We've forgotten who God is. Even many Christians don't understand who God is. At the end of this uh, broadcast, if I have a chance, I'm going to ask a question, and I would like you to respond to that question by email, if you would be so kind. Uh, It won't take you long to do so, but I would appreciate help from you, our listeners. Today, the fear of God, and even understanding who God is, is pretty much gone from our society. And we need to get back to that if we want to see our society changed. The passage of scripture that struck me uh, comes just before this first verse I want to read to you. This first verse is Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20. It says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put 
darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is what we see in America today. This verse says, Woe unto them. A woe is an exclamation of grief. It means those who put their lives in grave danger, they're going to have much grief because of the things that they're going to do. Now, what is grief? Grief is a pain of mind caused by either a great loss, misfortune, injury, evil, or by their own misconduct. And I'm afraid it's this last one that we have to deal with in America today. Our misconduct has gotten us to the point where God is allowing grief to come into our lives. I noticed this week uh, on Fox News' website there were a couple of articles written by various people uh, asking where was God in all of these um, uh, calamities and for the most part the answers that were given weren't too bad but I would like to ask this question on that when we say where is God we should ask the question why should God be involved in our lives why should God be protecting us from the evils in this world why should we expect God to intervene and keep us from having these problems when we've turned our back on him You know, I've heard some people on the left blame President Trump for the hurricanes that we just had recently in this country. How foolish can you be? There's only one person that can control the weather, and his name is Jehovah God, and he is in control, and when these things start happening, we need to start really, truly asking that question, why are they happening? I personally believe that it's because of the misconduct in America, because our turning our back on God. I believe all the grief that we have coming from terrorism, from financial problems, natural catastrophes, and everything else that's happened is because we've turned away from the precepts of God and we've started following the precepts of men. The acceptance of abortion, homosexuality, and so many other ungodly things are causing this pain in America. If the pain that we're experiencing in America right now isn't enough to make us return to God, you can be sure that God is going to take further steps and look at Israel of old and you will see that when they wouldn't listen to God, God sent them into captivity. He took their nation down. Israel hasn't had a nation from the time of Christ, almost 70 AD, until just not that many years ago, 1948, because of their turning their back on God. Do you think that if God took... Israel's nationhood away from them that he won't do the same to America there has never been another nation other than Israel that has been blessed by God like America has been blessed and Israel has an advantage that we don't have they are God's chosen people we are not we are uh, people who have followed God for the most part for most of our history but since Oh, I suppose it started at the end of the Second World War, but it didn't come to a head until the 1960s when we turned our backs on God. And we have seen our nation in decline ever since then. And I think it's time we realize that the problems happening to us, all of them, the terrorism, the weather, everything, are our fault because we've turned our backs on God. I want to take a look at some of the woes that we find here in Isaiah chapter 5. The first one I want to look at is in verse 21. It says, Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. It's talking about thinking that we're smarter than God, that we know more than God. We think that uh, everything we see is, is or think is right and we kind of discount what God has to say. 
one of the major things that we see in our society today is we think that all of this physical world is the result of some great cosmic accident in the distant past that were the fruit of evolution. How foolish is it to think that random chance could create all of the complexity that we see around us? How foolish is it to think that God didn't know what he was doing when he created a man and a woman? How foolish is it to think that killing a baby in in the womb is good because the birth might cause an inconvenience to the parents' lives? That's foolishness to think those kinds of things, yet those are prominent in the thoughts of America today. Teaching young people that we're just advanced animals hasn't made society any better, has it? It's made the young people act like animals. Removing the Bible and Christianity from our schools and teaching that there's no God to which we have to respond hasn't improved society either, has it? It has left everyone uh, do that which is right in their own eyes, and that means that they do what benefits them, and they really don't care how it affects other people. There's no moral absolute for us to follow anymore. When America was young, the Bible was our, our, our moral absolute. Even those who weren't Christians believed that the Bible taught us how we were supposed to live, and we've gotten so far away from that today. The next woe is, in, is found in verse 22. It says, Woe unto them that are mighty to drink wine, and men of strength that mingle strong drink. It says, Woe to the idea that real men drink alcoholic beverages. You watch these beer commercials as you're watching your favorite ball game, and you'll see that they make it sound like if you're a real man, you're going to drink their alcoholic beverages. But that's not true. Real men have the strength not to get caught up in those things. The Bible tells us that wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging, and it is. Uh, I remember here a number of years ago, there was a report that came out that said, Said red wine kept people from having heart attacks and they used France as an example because in France they don't have very many heart attacks and they drink a lot of red wine but let me tell you the truth behind the story first of all Welch's did a study after that and found that grape juice not wine red grape juice was 60% better at stopping heart attacks than red wine But here's the side of the story you've never heard anywhere else before, and that is in France. They don't have many heart attacks. It doesn't mean they don't have problems from alcohol, because 50% of the hospital beds in France are filled with people who are there because of alcohol, whether it's liver problems or or accidents or, or whatever it may be. They're there because of alcohol and the bad effect that it's had on their lives. Don't think that alcohol is good for us. It never is good for us. The Bible tells us that princes, kings, and rulers are not supposed to drink strong drink or alcoholic beverages. As Christians, we are princes and priests, and the Bible forbids us from drinking wine. Why? Because it clouds our judgment. By the way, did you know that it only takes one teaspoon of pure alcohol to do permanent damage to the frontal lobe of your brain. Now, that's where your memory is. And one teaspoon of alcohol, take a wine glass, put 10 teaspoons of, uh, of uh, water in that glass and see how close it comes to filling it up. It won't even come close to filling it up. However, alcohol, or excuse me, 
wine usually runs about 10% alcohol. So every time you drink a glass of wine, you're doing permanent damage to the frontal lobes of your brain. Now, our brains are so phenomenal that it takes a lot of years before that starts showing up, but it's done nevertheless. It's destroying our brains, and that does not heal itself. Now, here's one that we've seen a lot in the last uh, uh, election cycle and in our political system today. It's continuing with the woes and it's talking about which justify the wicked for reward and take away the righteousness of the righteous from him. Now, this is talking about about uh, what we do because somebody's going to pay us for it, going to reward us for it. And, and we had heard a lot this past election cycle about the pay for play. You want something from the government? Well, I'm a government official. You just send something to my foundation and we'll make sure that you get what you want. And that is corruption. And that's what it's talking about here. And that is so prominent. Uh, it's the biggest game in Washington, D.C. today. Politicians say, pay me something and I'll get the bills passed that you want. You know, I long for politicians who would do what's right no matter what it costs them, even if it costs them the next election. But that isn't what we're seeing today. Isn't it interesting that even before President Trump took office, politicians were already talking about the 2018 elections? They should have been talking about the things they'd promised to do for the voters and the things they said they would get done for us to make our country better to get us back to what we used to be but no all they all they care about all our politicians really are interested in is will i get elected the next time do you know when america was founded all of our politicians were part-time they had their businesses and their farms that they ran they would come to washington when they needed to in order to conduct business then they go back and run their farms they didn't live off of the government for 40 years and that's all that our politicians for the most part care about about today this next woe was a little bit confusing to me for a time, but I think now I have at least a little bit of understanding on what it's talking about. I believe that it has to do with the taking away of the freedom from people. I think it is a picture of socialism and communism. Here's what it says. Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone in the midst of the earth. In mine ears, said the Lord of hosts, of uh, truth, many houses shall be desolate, even uh, great and fair, without inhabitant. Yea, ten acres of vineyard shall yield one bath, and the seed of an homer shall yield an ephah. Now, it's that last part that I think gives us the meaning of this. It's talking about when we join everything together, we put everything under a central control. That's socialism, and the only semblance of socialism ever working is in a totalitarian system. Now, it really doesn't work. It, it results in poverty. It's The idea sounds good, but here's what it says. It says, put everybody works, they put into the pot, and then everyone takes out according to his need. Well, because of the type of people that we are and the hearts that we have because of sin, uh, it doesn't work because everybody's going to put in as little as they can, do as little work as they can get away with doing and take out as much as they can 
Just look, isn't that what our welfare system is doing today in America? And if you keep doing it that way, the socialistic pot will soon be emptied and there's not going to be anything to give to anybody. I had a teacher in, in high school that drew a diagram on the blackboard that explained how socialism communism works. And they had drew a line at the top for the super rich and they drew a line at the bottom for those in poverty. And they put a dotted line across the middle. And they said this is what socialism makes us think is going to happen. But it's not what they really mean. Then he drew a, drew a line just above that poverty line and says this is where socialism is going to take everybody. It will make us all equal but it will be on the low end of the economic structure. And if you look at communist countries, uh, you'll find that except for the ruling class, everybody else is in poverty down on the bottom. It just doesn't work. You cannot have socialism unless you have a totalitarian state and take away the freedoms of people and force them to work. And it's almost slave labor, folks. That's what it is. Don't listen to what Bernie Sanders has to say. Uh, you take what he's talking about right now with his single-payer health uh, issue. Listen, I'm on Medicare. Everybody talks about how great Medicare is. Let me tell you something. It's not all that great. If I didn't have America, uh, if I didn't have a, a Medicare Advantage plan, I wouldn't be covered for very much. I have to go something beyond that in order to have decent coverage, and it's not that good. I think the last part of this verse actually shows us the results of this kind of of uh, system. When ten acres of vineyard only produces one bath, which by the way is about eight gallons of juice. That means that a, a, whole, a whole acre of grapevines is producing less than one gallon of grape juice. Something's wrong with that. Now, when a homer of seed only produces an ephah, something's wrong because an ephah is only one-tenth of a homer. So you take a homer of seed, you put it in the ground, and in the fruit that it comes back, you only get one-tenth of that. How long is it going to take you to run out of seed doing it that way, folks? Just stop and think about it. And we are moving more and more toward that kind of system, and that's why our legal system is having problems, and they're having to take more and more of our freedoms away from us because they have to control us some way. And since God isn't there to do it, there is another way that, that it has to be done, and it's by the government controlling us. The bottom line in socialism is if the government's going to provide everything for you, then there's no reason for you to go out and work hard and uh, things just don't get done. Now I've looked at some of these woes and uh, we see what they are. We see some of the problems and we see those very problems in America today. Now I want to make the main point that I, uh, of this message. I believe that all of us want to see souls saved. I mean, if you're a Christian, you should want others to be Christians. You shouldn't want anybody, even your worst enemy, to spend one instant in hell. So we should want to see souls saved. And we are sure seeing a lot of evangelistic activity in, in our churches, especially in independent Baptist churches. A lot of evangelical activity is going on, but the results are dismal at best. I have spoken of why I believe this to happen many times before, but I think this uh, next verse supports my opinion and that it tells us why. It says, therefore, why? Because of all the things that are going on, all of these woes and things we've turned our back on God, it says, therefore, health hath enlarged herself and opened her mouth without measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it. 
Remember, the context of this verse is talking about people who've turned away from God and His precepts, who are doing things their own way, and instead of following God, they're following the precepts of men. And when I read this verse, it breaks my heart. The rebellion against God, even by those who profess to be Bible-believing Christians, has caused hell to enlarge itself. That that means that uh, it means that hell is as made more room to receive more people. The mouth of hell is opened without measure. Folks, we have so many people today that are uh, professing to be Christians that have no idea what the Bible says about how they should live their lives. Just this week, somebody posted something on, on Facebook about a church that was started out of West Coast uh Baptist College out there in uh, Lancaster, California, which is supposed to be one of our better colleges, and it's a rock and roll, uh, come any way you want, don't show any respect for God, just come, dress the way you want, uh, and everything, we don't care, we just want to get you here, type of church. And somebody came back and said, well, what's wrong with that? Don't we just want to get people in church? Does it matter how they dress? Well, actually, does it matter how they dress? I guess for a lost person who doesn't know who God is to come to church and not show respect in his conduct and his dress might be okay. But I wrote an answer about why it was important. And the person, very nice, very polite, came back to me. And they said, well, were the Pharisees right when they were, were keeping the law? And folks, that is a totally wrong attitude the way you look at this idea of standards in our churches. See, the truth of the matter is the Pharisees were depending on their good works to get them to heaven. They were trying to earn their way to heaven, and they knew they were doing it in a corrupt manner. They were putting burdens on the people that the Bible never put on those people and things like that. But at any rate, uh, they, they, they said that, and I came back and said this. You know, there's a big difference between doing uh, good works in order to earn salvation and having a standard of, of address and conduct that shows respect and honor to a holy God. Now, it's interesting that they came back right on the first one and challenged me, but when I came back with that, there was no response from them. Why? Because what can you say? Should we not show proper respect to God in the way we conduct ourselves in church and the way we dress ourselves in church? By the way, we should also have the same standards in our daily life as we go through our lives. People are looking at us, and you may be the only Bible that someone reads, and you need to live a life that shows a respect and honor for a holy God which we claim we serve. I think this uh, verse is talking about about hell preparing itself to receive the multitudes that will be coming in in the last days. Remember what Jesus said. He said, will I find faith on the earth when I return? I think it's talking about those who glory in the evil of the world, who think that giving freedom to live in debauchery is a good thing, who glory in giving women the right to choose what to do with their bodies, even when it means killing an unborn baby. All of these things, I think that's what it's talking about. I think it's glory in the fact, oh, we've gone beyond the old ways. Now it's okay for two people of the same sex to be married and to live in their debauchery. Folks, it's not okay. It's still an abomination to God, and we need to keep that in mind. But but we need to realize that the reason America is in trouble is because we have turned our back on God and his precept. Right now, it's sad to say, but in America, 
and of course the rest of the world because they follow America, that the multitude is celebrating and rejoicing in their evil ways. They think that's the way it ought to be, and they think they know better. And the Bible says that those people are going to descend down into hell. Do you care about that? Do you care about people going to hell? Do you want to keep them from hell? Then you need to take serious what the Bible says about how we live our lives. Uh, God said that we're to be holy as he is holy. We're to live pure lives. Uh, I'm just finishing up a, a book on uh, on the Cathars, which are some of our, our Baptist ancestries, or ancestors, and uh, folks, th- that word Cathar means pure ones, and that's what they should be able to call all Christians, is Cathars, or pure ones. That's just not the case in the world we live in today. It is, any, is it any wonder we can't reach the lost? Is it any wonder we can't reach the lost today when we're not willing to be different from them? No matter what the cost may be, we should be willing to be different. Our Baptist ancestors stood for righteousness, and it cost many of them their lives. They Had they not done so, we wouldn't have the pure scriptures today. You wouldn't be able to hear the, the gospel in truth today. Remember, that the truth makes us free, and we need to hear the real gospel, not the gospel of the Catholic Church, where, yes, you have to believe in Jesus, and you have to do your sacraments, and you have to do your good works, and you have to do all your communions, you have to confess your sins to the priests, especially the mortal ones, and things like this. That's a false gospel. The gospel that baptism has something to do with your salvation is also a false gospel. And we wouldn't have the pure gospel if it wasn't for our ancestors to be willing to stand up um, for what was truth, even when it cost them their lives. Just think about this as I end this part of the talk. If it wasn't for our ancestors being willing to die for the truths of the scriptures, you wouldn't be saved today because the gospel would have been long since gone. We need people in the pew, but most of all, we need preachers who will stand up and preach the righteousness and the holy living that the Bible teaches. We need preachers who will preach the whole counsel of God, even those things that people don't want to hear. There are a couple passages in Ezekiel. I'm not going to have time to give any real depth to them today, but we need to take a listen to them. The first one is Ezekiel 33, verses 31 through 33. It says, And they... uh, And they come unto thee as a people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and hear thy words. But they will not do them, for with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song, one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear the words, but they will, but they do them not. When this cometh to pass, lo, it will come, then they shall know that a prophet has been among them. And that's what we as preachers need to make the people know, that a prophet of God has been among them. And here we are in Ezekiel chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. And he said unto me, Son of man, I send thee to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that hath rebelled against me. And their fathers have transgressed against me, even unto this very day. For they are impudent children and stiff-hearted. I do send thee unto them that thou may say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God. And they, whether they will 
hear, or whether they will forbear, for lo, they are a rebellious house, yet shall they know that there hath been a prophet among them. Folks, that's what we need. We need some men that will stand up and warn, which is what a prophet's job is, and tell the people that uh, we need to turn back to the righteousness that the scriptures teach. We as Christians need to be what we ought to be. We ought to be faithful to our God. We ought to be a testimony that draws the lost world to Christ, not a testimony that says, well, you can be just like the world, and therefore makes them say, well, why should I come to be saved? Why should I do anything about it? Folks, you hear an awful lot of this from me, but it's because I care about the lost enough to tell you what you really need to hear, whether you want to hear it or not. We need men who will preach, thus saith the Lord, and we need people who will stand up and back these men. Now let me get to that question I mentioned in the beginning of this broadcast. I would like for you, if you would be so kind, as to write down just a few sentences, a paragraph or two at the most, that describes the God that you believe in. I would like to have you send an email to me. You can send it to questions at solidfoundationministries.com. That's an email address that I've set up for this specifically, questions at solidfoundationministries.com. Just at most a couple of paragraphs describing the God you believe in. It's the research I'm doing for a new book that I intend to write. If you don't have uh, email, you can't send me an email address, you can also send it to me by mail. You can get my mailing address if you call the radio station, and they'll be glad to give it to you. Uh, This is an important question that I'm asking because I need to put together some material for this book I mentioned uh, that shows who God really is, and for me to be able to cover the areas that are necessary, uh, I would appreciate knowing what people think. I I, I want to understand who you think God is and uh, what he's like. Just a short statement. I don't want a long dissertation, but it would be greatly appreciated if you would do so. You don't even need to put uh, your name on it. So thank you. See you again next week. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.